Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Speak of the Devil with me, Josh DeBillier. Today, I'm joined by the guitarist, singer, and principal songwriter for the bands The Classic Crime and Vocal Few. Since 2006, The Classic Crime has released seven full-length studio albums, one live album, and one acoustic EP. Meanwhile, Vocal Few released their fifth EP, Grand Prey, back in 2018 and just recently released a cover of Joy Division's Level Terrace Apart for Valentine's Day. He is a true veteran of the music industry, and I can honestly say that he's one of the creative minds that I respect the most out of anyone. So without further ado, please welcome Matt McDonald. Wow, what an honoring and pleasant and beautifully said intro. Good job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I try to, yeah, I try to give my guests uh, good, uh, like, hospitality, good social right, hospitality. Right, right. Well, it is. Uh, you, you, and all your facts were accurate, so. Good, good. Yeah, the uh, details were correct. Well, thank you for joining me today, and it really is an honor to have you on the show. I, uh, I recently moved from Virginia to New York, and I was talking to my mom on the phone during the drive up, and uh, I mentioned that you were going to be on, and she was like, oh, good, I sent him your podcast a while back. <laughs> and I just, I reverted to like an eight year old. I was like, mom. <laughs> yeah. Your mom, your yeah, mom. A lot of people are looking forward. Your, I, I always recognize your last name, obviously, but, yeah. uh, but your mom does reach out occasionally to let me know how you're doing. So that's, that's <laughs> she's very, she's, she's very supportive of me. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Well, to, uh, to start things off, I wanted to bring the conversation back to 2012 when the classic crime went independent. And for those of you who may not know, the classic crime released three records under the label Tooth and Nail before going independent in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, I personally feel like the era surrounding Phoenix was as much of a spiritual rebirth for the band as much as it was a literal rebirth. Right. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the vibe surrounding the band when you parted ways with Tooth and Nail. Yeah, I mean, all the, everyone had kind of... You know, after Vagabonds came out in 2010, um, like everybody kind of realized like, oh, this this isn't going the way that we thought it was going to go. Like we thought it was upward trajectory, like each record we're going to get, you know, the next one's going to make it. And you're always trying to find like weird mechanical things to help you make it. Like, oh, if we get on, you know, this radio format, then we'll make it or whatever, you know, or if we get on this tour with this band, then we'll really make it. And the truth is we weren't making it. We, were, we weren't getting out of the van, um, you know, sleeping in, you know, one one star hotels. <laughs> that was just our life. And uh, I think the rest the you know, everyone's kind of like getting into their late 20s now where it's not so cool to... Um, not know what you're doing with your life. And, uh, and so everyone, you know, a couple of the guys went back to school. Um, guys started getting married, um, kind of retraining themselves to do something else. And so I was kind of left there, uh, thinking like, well, is this over? And I didn't like choose for it to be over. I didn't want for it to be over. I didn't, you know, I think I had the realization that I wasn't in a band because I wanted to be famous or blow up or you know i think i thought those things were cool when i was younger but as i was right. kind of getting in my later later 20s i was like those things aren't I, like i've actually seen what those things look like i've experienced them to some extent and then i've also been able to watch like peers blow up and other bands that we've toured with get big and so i kind of could could see the inside of it and i realized that i didn't necessarily want that so the my goals kind of shifted from this sort of starry eyed 
you know, kid to like, okay, that's the end of the starry-eyed kid's uh, naivete. That's the end of that kid's dream. And, you know, Vagabonds was kind of like the nail in that coffin a little bit. Um, even, even just recording the album, you know, before it came out, you know, I'd written, you know, 95% of everything on it musically and then 100% of the lyrics, right? So there was very little contribution from the band, whereas in the previous two albums, they'd contributed a lot more. And I'd always sort of trusted the band to, like, take my songs and make them better, like, give me input or whatever. But basically what I felt, and this is maybe not even true, but I just felt like my demos became the record. <laughs> and I was so bummed. Yeah. I was so bummed by that because I was like, normally I bring my demos and it's like, you know, two guitars, bass and drums. And then they, they add some flair, or they, but everyone just wasn't invested. They're just like, whatever, you know, like tell me what to play. So, well, you've talked about before how Vagabonds is, is not one of your favorite albums, uh, do you think that the lack of contribution from the band kind of attributed to that? Well, yeah. So what, what, so I don't, um, I, I'll put it this way. I'm not a fan of my music in the sense that obviously if I didn't like it, I wouldn't make it. But in the sense that my experience with a song is not from a fan's perspective, it's from, uh, the, uh, a, a writer's perspective, a, a creator's perspective. So I, but before a song's even recorded, I have a relationship to it that can be tainted by experiences. So um, when I say that like Vagabonds was not my favorite album, it's more saying that it wasn't my favorite album to record or to make because it was this kind of horrible realization that I was on my own in my my musical endeavors <laughs> right. before we had been a band before that we had been a band and i was just one member who was making decisions yes i made you know i wrote all the lyrics and i wrote a bunch of the music but it was like i could rely on other people to bring things to the table and vagabonds was like when everybody kind of had one foot out the door and uh and and uh and so when the record came out I had this like awful feeling even in our, you know, we had a sold out uh, show at the Showbox uh, market in Seattle, which is a, a venue that's about like 1100 cap. So it's just a packed show with a ton of people. And I just remember looking around on stage and being like, I like no one's into this music. Like no one, like I, like I'm carrying this and, and I just felt like this, this knot in the pit of my stomach and, and, like I couldn't even celebrate the release of the record. It was just a bad vibe all around. Now, right. You know, as a fan, I would say like, yeah, some of those songs are great, but like when I say it's not my favorite record, it's because there's all these negative experiences around it. And it really was the experience of a t sort of death, a metaphorical death of, of the, the original dream for our band and the kind of the, I guess the, the operating narrative or myth that drove all of us together towards that singular dream. And this was the atomization or the falling apart of that narrative. And, um, and so Phoenix was kind of, you know, the record after that in, you know, we leave the label in 2011 and I'm, you know, thinking, okay, well, I'm not necessarily done making music. Um, I'm not doing it for all the reasons that like maybe some of the other guys in the band wanted to do it for. 
I'm doing it because I kind of like this is like my outlet. This is my I don't know but how to say it that isn't super self-important sounding but like it's my life's work you know it's like what i'm supposed to do i feel like i'm supposed to do it you know um so you know when you're when you're when you have some work to do and it is really really hard to do but really really fulfilling i feel like you should still you should do it that's like a good sign that you should do it um and so that was my work yeah well when you guys launched the kickstarter campaign for phoenix that album was pretty much completely written is that correct yeah so i had i had been writing songs kind of out of this death and rebirth sort of vein um and uh and and then i was like well you know i'd see some people do a kickstarter and i was like well no labels are knocking at the door and i'm not necessarily done writing music but i like it's like you know i guess i have to just do it myself i just have to do so we did a Kickstarter and that that's uh that was kind of I guess you could call that the for Phoenix, that the the name of the album obviously gives it away, sort of rising from the ashes of the previous uh dream or band or metaphor. It's basically when I sort of took the reins of our band and uh and decided to keep it going independently. So well, what was the general consensus regarding that record, both before the Kickstarter and then after once it was fulfilled? Did did your opinion of the record change after that, or was it more was it a more pleasant experience finishing that record? Yeah, it was pretty fulfilling. Um, and actually, the guys did get together uh, to work on that in the studio a little more so than. Um, than the previous record I felt like as far as like the pre-production goes. Um, because it was like the birth of our like independent career and, and, um, we had basically raised a bunch of money, like while we were in the studio recording it. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it was like, it was kind of like a big shot in the arm for everybody. Like, wow, people really care. Um, they're ordering this record. We want to make it good. Um, and it was really fulfilling because it was the first record of ours that I had, I produced. So, you know, I basically, um, I had a buddy that had a, like a home studio, um, and br- uh, his name was, uh, Brandon Metcalf and he, um, Brandon Metcalf and he, uh, engineered it and we basically used the studio for like three months. <laughs> um, but because I was like pretty obsessed with like making the record good and it being my first um that i produced of our albums i I just wanted i just wanted to make sure that it was good um so i was probably a little too obsessive and took a little too long on it but by the time it was by the time it was done i was so happy and relieved and like it was like a big um kind of like a monument of, of of achievement for our band just to to make an album independently by ourselves with me at the helm and get it from like point A to point Z or whatever. (laughs) Um, you know, it was a big, it was a big effort. And when it was done, I was, you know, I was able to fly, you know, cause the Kickstarter went really well. I was able to fly down to Orlando and have Elvis mix it. And I sat next to him for six days straight as we mixed the record, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. 
and um, every step of the process, you know, just holding the hand of it. And uh, so when it was done, I was really I was really happy with it because I felt like, um, you know, where where in my naivete, I sort of like handed vagabonds over to other people, hoping that they would add something. I sort of took the reins uh, the whole way with Phoenix and uh, and was, you know, sort of like be able to affirm to myself that like uh, if, you know, that I am capable of, of making something that I like. <laughs> so right. yeah, it was actually fulfilling to, to, to do that first one independently. Well, I mean, I think you definitely succeeded in making a, a great record with Phoenix. It's my personal favorite of the classic crimes albums. But oh, thanks. After Phoenix, the next time we got a full length record of all new music was in 2017 right. with how to be human. And I think a lot of people agree that how to be human contains some of your best work, uh, but there was a bit of controversy surrounding that record when it came out with songs like Wonder. Sure. And I even remember Holy Water released as a single and you received some flack from fans for saying, like, God damned. Sure. Um, did you feel like releasing How to Be Human was kind of like a metaphorical ripping off the Band-Aid, so to speak, with kind of breaking away from that stereotype of Christian yeah. rock? Sure, yeah. I mean, we always pushed back on the term i mean we were associated with christian rock because or christian punk or whatever because tooth and nail records had that sort of pseudo christian label um right, that under oath and berlin right right thing. right but we came up through we came up in a time where like those lines were blurry and it didn't matter um but there was always this assumption from some people that like we were on the same page as them and that one that thing it's a thing that just always irked me like just people coming up to the merch table and just making a huge assumption about what like we think spiritually based on the fact that we were assigned to a label or based on the fact that like one song that they listened to had some sort of spiritual metaphors and so they could kind of place us on a spectrum in a denomination or whatever just based on that nothing we'd ever said and that always bothered me it's just like you don't know me and i don't believe in what you believe and i don't agree with what you and i'm not going to pretend like i do um which is hard because you know if someone's you know prophesying in tongues at the merch table as they grab your head in front of people it's hard to push the guy away and say get your hands off me because he's right. the, you know exercising his whatever religion on you and it's you know you can want to be open and accepting but at the same time it's like that's a little offensive that you would just assume that you could do that and you know put someone on the spot that way and i don't know i just i've always kind of felt like like leave me alone with that like that you you don't know me and so even after being off of tooth and nail and putting out you know my own stuff and whatever it just it always felt like certain people were going to try to claim me and i did i i, I was always sort of like why do you think you can claim me like you like we didn't grow up together you don't know me we don't believe the same things you just assume that i do and you sort of claim me and you say right like fall in line right you know um and I just never liked that pressure. So I didn't actually um, 
set out to offend people. And here's the thing, even after saying, you know, lyrics like there is no goddamn thing in sight, which I can defend even, you know, yeah, I can. Yeah, it makes sense in context. Yeah, yeah, I can. I can defend that and say that's actually not that offensive if you are a Christian. But um, I guess "fuck" would be an offensive word for most Christians. But like when I wrote it, and I'd written lyrics before that were like that that I'd changed because I was like, we were on the label and we couldn't cuss on a record or whatever, you know. And I was like, well, I'm not on a label anymore. I don't have to take that out. You know, I don't have to edit myself anymore um, because the label wants to ship. A certain amount of records um to a christian bookstore or whatever because that's their bread and butter like i don't have to worry about that anymore i can just not ship to the christian bookstore <laughs> easy right you know yeah well i will i lose money yes but i i'll i'll keep my soul so i was fine with that um but i think and here's the funny thing about it as as upset as certain people were it was kind of like you know, to bring it back to like breaking your naive view of the world or your naive dream of reality, it was you know what happened to me and during Vagabonds happened to some other people. <laughs> so I feel like it's all about growing up and uh, and if you had a preconception about what our music was or who I was as a person. Um, it's time you throw that out the window because you don't actually know. You're just telling yourself a story and the story's not true. And so, you know, here's 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 a way to break that narrative. Um, but surprisingly, after people did get uh, offended by some of the language on that record, oh, here's here's a, here's another one. Some people said, uh, I love your band. Um I'm not religious, and that I don't like that record because it's the most spiritual record you put out. I, I actually wrote that down as a as a point because yeah. I I kind of feel the same way. It's a, it's almost ironic in that. Yeah. Way. Yeah, I mean, the record was written during a phase of like, kind of deconstructing worldview, metaphysics, and stuff like that. So it was considering a lot of like the, you know, the stuff from childhood we're just given. Um, if you grow up in a in a religious home, um, so yeah, it did have a lot of that topically on on the record, and and so so while some people were offended that it was like, you know, they would say like we're you know appealing to the pop, you know, the to the masses and the mainstream, and you sold out. Other people were like, ugh, you guys went really religious. So it was just funny that I thought that was a funny dichotomy, and then um, and then still to this day. Um, you know, I get tagged in like Christian rock radio, um, posts about songs that we put out that are, that that people are like, Oh, this is my favorite Christian rock band. So it's like, we can't even shed the label. And that's why I said, it's like, how many times do I have to say fuck before you people leave me alone? (laughs) But, um, apparently, uh, there's no, there's no amount of times I can offend them. They will still try to claim me. And that's fine. I guess, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, if they, you know, if they can see past it, as long as they're not lying to themselves, I'm cool with it. So. Right, right. Well, your last record, Patterns and Static, let's talk about that for a second, uh, released February 2020, like right before the pandemic hit. And uh, before we talk about how the pandemic kind of affected your plans, I just wanted to touch on the writing process for that record. 
you went on a songwriting tour mm -hmm. and you streamed like many sessions of the writing process. And I was just wondering, you know, when you're streaming, do you feel an added pressure to entertain your audience? Do you think that affects the way that you write? Yes. Uh, there's, it's absolutely affects what, uh, how sort of like vulnerable I can be. And, um, there is a self-consciousness when a camera is on you and when people are watching. There just is, you know. Um, I I try to turn the stream on and do it anyways because I want to be so comfortable in front of the viewers or the audience that I can truly, like, attempt to do something of value. I mean, uh, recently I've just been streaming this, like, joke song that we kind of made up as a meme in our discord. And that's been really easy for me because I don't have to be like open and vulnerable about it. It's just, it's just an abstraction. It's like a, a joke. It's like stuff we can all kind of do together and, and meet in the middle. But like for me to actually be open to writing real lyrics that are like from my heart or whatever, I'd, I would have to, I'd have to be willing to be embarrassed because, you know, a good a good amount of that vulnerability is embarrassing and bad. It can be bad. And it's really hard to, like, be open to being bad or embarrassed if people are watching you. It's just it is. So I try to, like, I try to turn the stream on. I try to do work. Um, but like, it's, it's definitely a lot harder and it's not like I'm, especially when I feel like I'm not getting a lot done off stream. Um, it's hard for me to turn the stream on cause I'm like, well, I'm not going to do anything of value on the stream either. I'm just going to like throw some stuff together that won't really work potentially. So yeah, it's definitely difficult. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of a practice in, uh, overcoming, you know, fear and, and, weird precious emotions about writing songs yeah well you uh in the uh kickstarter video for how to be human i remember you said you said i've been in a cave writing songs and for patterns and static you were very much not in a cave right uh with the songwriting tour um do you think that it's necessary to take those kinds of not risks but to put yourself in a position that you're maybe not comfortable with uh and do you think that can reward you with a better product yeah I mean, comfort is the enemy of creativity or inspiration. You know, discomfort is often the 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 catalyst or the impetus for for creative endeavors, I think. So um, I try to take on some new challenge every time. This one is like I did this this record that we're working on now. Um, it's kind of set up similarly to patterns of the static where like I did a Kickstarter and I hadn't had anything written, um, which is scary enough. Cause it's like, okay, now people are, now I'm on the clock and like, what's going to happen. I, I don't really control what I write, you know? Um, yeah. A lot of people think, oh, you just produce a product. Like just write me a song like X. And it's like that. You, <laughs> you don't understand that it's not how it works. Um, even if I wanted to. I couldn't. And even if I did it exactly how you wanted to, you wanted it, you would hate it because it wouldn't be inspired. It wouldn't be real. You'd be like, oh, this is a ripoff of X. I'm like, well, that's what you asked for. 
Um, so right, right. It's it's this weird thing where it's like, you know, it's scary to try to endeavor, but that difficulty helps the endeavor, and so um, so I tried to do that again with this record, but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm at a point where like I. I, I couldn't do a songwriting tour. I couldn't, you know, go see my friends and be in person, um, you know, cause of COVID. And so now, now I'm stuck here trying to figure out what to write and I'm kind of pulled in multiple directions and not really knowing what to do. So, but I have a trust in the process that like, as long as I show up every day and I open pro tools or whatever, and I put a guitar on my body and I play it, that pieces will come together and that's usually what happens um even though i feel like i have nothing like if you do that every day for six months you're gonna have something it just happens so uh trust the process and the magic and go for it and that's that's what i think i don't know i think creativity is so much it takes so much trust um and it's and super scary when you do it right so I know I'm on the right track if I'm like, I don't have anything. How is this? This is not going to be good. <laughs> usually comfortable in the uncomfortable. Yeah. Usually I'm on the right track because it's not, if I was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be fine. I got it. Then it's probably not going to be good. Well, obviously the pandemic was a huge blow to everyone. Um, but especially for bands, you know, not being able to tour and crew, crew members not being able to work, uh, things like that. But, I think you were able to make the most out of a bad situation when you started doing quarantines. Yes. Can you just talk a little bit about how that decision was made and how quarantines has performed considering, considering your expectations going into it? Right. We had done uh, stage it's before, um, which was a, a different platform than Twitch. Um, but it had been a couple years since we did a stage it show and a stage. It's a thing where you like, you buy, you know, people buy tickets too. And, um, it's, it was actually really fun when we used to do it. They used to like, you know, tip and stuff and we would have like top tipper rewards and it was fun. Um, and Christy and I vocal few, and then, uh, the band even did one around what was done volume one, um, with some cello and violin in there too. So that was pretty fun. But, um, when the the tours that we had planned had canceled for for pits for patterns and static um we uh we thought well we, we like i should perform you know like that the record just came out basically it's march everything shuts down and the record's out and there's like you know we're uh, a cycle a record cycle always requires you that you perform the songs that you've written you know at least three or four of them (laughs) so uh but there was no way to perform so we i thought well we'll do a stage it and then so christy and i did a stage it from home you know on a friday night after the kids went to sleep and it was so good we were like let's just do this every friday night because we're like locked in here anyways and everyone was you know everyone's so sweet and it was like fun to just interact with human beings. So let's just do it every week. And then I'll just get a new set. And then I got this idea that like, I'm going to go through all of our songs acoustically and try to like, just figure it out. And, you know, there was something informal about it too. Like it wasn't super polished. Like Christy and I like never practiced. So she would just kind of like freestyle the harmonies 
which was fun and spontaneous. Um, and then we were just kind of hang out and jam, like just acoustic. Like, it was almost like someone brought out an acoustic guitar at a party, which is, I know, lame, uh, sometimes, but imagine, imagine everyone at the party really, really likes the songs <laughs> yeah. that it's not just Wonderwall, <laughs> you know, um, then it was kind of fun. It's like, oh, you know, Matt's figuring out how to play, you know, medicine on acoustic or whatever. And right. It was fun for me too because I was like, I don't want an acoustic. Yeah, I've never, yeah, I've never actually played <laughs> those songs on acoustic, or I've never even played them live. I mean, some of those songs, uh, you know, I might, I, I wrote, um, taught to Robbie, or you know, taught a part to Robbie or Justin, and then never played again. And so, re- relearning those was kind of fun. So we did, yeah, we did fourteen weeks of that. And then at the end of the 14 weeks, I was like, I need to figure out um, how to write songs again, not uh, not just how to how to play my old ones. You know, I, I get this feeling sometimes if I'm looking back too long um, that I need to start moving forward again. And so we stopped doing the quarantines after. Um, well, basically, it was like three and a half months in the middle of lockdown. Um, and then and then I basically I started. um figuring out what I was going to do for the next record because we couldn't tour. And uh, then I was like, well, if I want to write songs, I better make sure that I have like time to write songs and a Kickstarter allows for that to happen. So I did a Kickstarter and, and I've been uh, trying to write songs all summer or uh, sorry, all fall and winter and uh, getting not everywhere I need to get with that like i have so i have some stuff but it's just not even it's not even where i like i don't have a structure or, a, or an idea i have songs from uh, in seven different genres currently so i'm like <laughs> so i'm like okay uh well let's do quarantines again <laughs> so we're back we're back starting well, quarantines on twitch let me ask you this because at least i think since like 2012 uh it's it's been like a classic crime record and then a vocal few EP. Yeah, uh, kind of in that cycle. What was the decision making process for just to make another classic crime record and forego the vocal few EP for a while? Um, yeah that that was a like Christy wanted me to do a vocal few EP, but I hadn't. We like tour is a huge part of our income and classic crime is a huge part of our income. So I'm like. If Vocal Few can't tour, I have to do a classic crime record or else I can't pay my bills, you know? Um, gotcha. So that was kind of it. Um, and, uh, and you know, honestly, that might be part of the reason why my brain has problems switching into classic crime mode. Um, and I actually, I actually wrote um, kind of like I've been, I've written some like electro pop stuff that's kind of like, more in the vocal few vein <laughs> which is like distracting me from writing classic crime so it's like almost like my brain wants to write a vocal few record right now but now i'm on the hook to deliver a classic crime record because uh people have already pre-ordered it so that might be part of my problem is that i uh i jumped the gun i should have just done a vocal few record and then you know <laughs> i don't know figure figured out how to pay the bills otherwise but uh, it is what it is i'm in it now so uh, we'll get through it have you ever thought about 
doing like a, a classic crime EP. I know you talked about it I don't know, a couple of years ago, but um, because you know, a full length album is a massive undertaking. Yeah. Uh, has that ever crossed your mind to just shorten it? Yeah. I mean, to do EPs, definitely. Um, the problem is, is that we have precedent in our band. Uh, people expect sort of like 10 songs, you know, from us. People don't expect 10 songs from like all the people putting up music on Spotify playlists right now. But right. like, it feels like the core, our core audience really likes the album experience. Um, a lot of people collect vinyl, you know, it's kind of more an old, old school tactile, slow music listening as opposed to the really fast playlist, you know, drop a single with two songs and that's an EP every six months type of thing. Um, I happen to be more of a, a perennial creator, which is to say seasonal. So like I don't constantly make things all the time. I take huge seasons where I don't write anything like all of 2020. I didn't, I didn't write a single song basically um, until the end of 2020 after I did the Kickstarter. So um, the idea of like putting out more constant but shorter albums like EPs, it doesn't necessarily fit with what I think of myself, but I'm, I'm obviously willing to challenge myself and try new things. But, um, but yeah, it would be simpler if I, didn't have to do 12 tracks on an album and I could do seven. I mean, that's half six, or right, six, right. six, six would be half. Right. But, uh, I, I do think that, that, uh, you know, I, I, I like albums. Um, my favorite bands have albums that I love front to back, not just songs. So I don't understand like how to, um, you know, do like how to have that effect on people without creating an, an album that is sort of like bookended and has a theme and has an arc to it. You know, uh, I guess I could do it shorter in an EP or, um, I mean, vocal fuse done EPs the whole time. So, um, I've been definitely like that way with that project. It's just that we have a precedent for long albums that sort of ebb and flow and have, contrast and dynamics throughout so people come to expect that i think something uh, a lot of people may not realize about you is how many different projects you're part of uh, it's not just classic crime or vocal few and uh, i was just hoping you could enlighten us on what a typical day for you looks like maybe when you're not when, when you're in the off season for writing right um gosh I'm I'm actually not super busy now. I haven't been super busy in all all of 2020. Um, I've kind of you know uh, for for a few years there I was very busy all the time. Um, I had a podcast that went you know we did every week for two years essentially. Um, I was releasing music for BC Music. Uh, which was a label co-op that me and some friends made. We put out like 24 albums, you know, pressed them to vinyl, kickstarted them, you know, marketing, stuff like that. And I did have my soul, um, my uh, 
my solo contracting uh, marketing business where people would just hire me to do a Kickstarter or help help their album come out or whatever. And so I was I was super busy and had a bunch of irons in the fire. And then um, and then I moved to Nova Scotia, and after getting there and slowing down, I started to realize the value of just not being busy. Um, and when I got there, I realized that, well, f- first I didn't have to pay rent cause my, my, it was my aunt's house that she owned. And so we were just like taking care of it. And so that burden being lifted, I was just able to sit and go, I'm not going to do anything today. I'm just going to re- like, I'm going to go into that office that I, that I made for myself in that room. And I told, told this to Christy, like, I'm like, I'm going to read a book or I'll pick up the guitar or I'll do, but I'm not going to like make myself do anything. And I did that for like three months. And then I had like the most productive as far as music goes, you know, next six months where Christy and I put out Grand Prey EP. I recorded it in that room. Um, we also did a Kickstarter for, uh, pressing the snowdrift ep to vinyl uh we planned a tour all the way back home that was like six weeks long um in a very short period of time i got a lot done and it was all the stuff that i wanted to do as opposed to all this ought to have to made an obligation so i gotta you know do this thing and so after that i kind of realized that like if i can optimize my life to where i don't have to do a bunch of things every week that is like you know, barreling down on me, these, these pressures or these demands, um, then I'm not gonna. So I kind of, you know, a day in the life of me is, is uh, you know, I wake up, uh, nowadays I wake up, um, I usually, if it's, you know, the first half of the week, I'll take my, um, my four year old to preschool, uh, come home, um, bundle up these days and I walk 20 minutes to this little studio I rent. Um, and I'll usually do some, you know, administrative stuff, answering emails or figuring some stuff out in the morning between, you know, nine and noon. And then the afternoons I'll try to work on songs. Um, and sometimes I'll stream in the afternoons. Uh, Fridays have been doing that where we're working on the joke song. Hell yeah on on twitch but um and then uh yeah i just it's on honestly it's really hard for me to um to uh describe what i do to people because uh, and it's always bothered me i don't know how like i remember i was with my friend uh dan coke and we were like at a cabin for some like winter camping with some other people and some, some, one of the other couples that we didn't know asked what I did for a living. And I'm like, I don't know really. <laughs> like <laughs> I like mostly answer emails, I guess. Uh, you know, like, and Dan's like, Oh, come on. You, you know, you write songs, you do it. You got a podcast or you do this marketing stuff. And I'm like, I guess I do, but like, it's so hard for me to explain that. Like, um, I'm yeah, just so well, I think a lot of people don't really know people who make a living being creative. Like they don't work any other job. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just making a product, selling it. Right. Um, so I, I think people just don't really understand that lifestyle. 
Yeah, and there's so much that goes into it. It's like, you know, it's not that I just sit around and write songs all day and then, like, put them out. There's, like, there's artwork and there's a community that you manage and there's, you know, goals and plans and um, marketing calendars and tours. And and when you're independent, you do all of that, you know, yourself. Um, you know, you got to you got to manage your publishing and your licensing and your distribution and like so there's just all these like little things you know your web your web page and your your online store and your designs and everything with the merch it's like it's it's like you're you're a whole team of like 20 people and at any given moment you could be wearing a different hat and so when someone asks you what you do and you say well i write songs it's like not you're lying so (laughs) it's not really what that's that's what you do like 0.01 percent of the time right yeah well the last thing i uh, i wanted to touch on is is your fan base i feel like the classic crimes got one of the most loyal niche fan bases of any band in the world uh, do you feel more connected to your fan base now than you did maybe 10 years ago? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at this point, too, the people who are here really understand um, and have a kinship with the music and with us and kind of like the everything that we do. Like, I feel like when we started out, we sort of had to put on a bit of a show or we had to, you know not cross certain boundaries or we had to like kind of appeal to people's sensibilities. And now we can just kind of be ourselves. I can, I I feel like I can really be myself um, with our community and be as like offensive or jokey or harsh or dramatic as I want. And people will be like, well, it's just Matt, you know, being Matt. So I feel very comfortable and I'm, I'm happy that to have curated or helped curate, a community wherein I feel comfortable because there's, I mean, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of communities in real life where I don't feel, I don't feel comfortable. Like I, I feel like I can't really be myself. Um, cause maybe I'm too much or too offensive or, um, not enough or whatever. There's just some inadequacy with who I am that doesn't allow me to mesh well with most communities, but to be able to have that with people who actually support you and, um, you know, it's, it is some, something special. So I definitely am grateful for, you know, for people sticking around and sticking with us this long and, uh, hopefully reaping the benefits of it because, you know, I feel like we have something special that everybody, you know, gets something out of. So you've tried a a bunch of different things over the years to, uh, kind of create a platform for all of us to socialize and hang out and, uh, discord and Twitch is I mean, I think you've got it nailed right now, but I was just wondering if you've got any ideas for things that you like to do in the future. Yeah, I, you know, I, it was, it was really hard because, yeah, so long story is in 2008, we took over our Facebook page and Facebook was the way to communicate to people. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop putting things in the hands of marketing managers or the label or whatever, or publicists. I'm going to communicate directly with the people that want to hear from us. And, you know, I want a relationship with those people. I don't want to have some middleman or whatever. So grew our Facebook page like by 10, tenfold. And, um, and then Facebook, you know, did its IPO and, and needed to make money. And turns out that, um, 
that we were the uh, customer. <laughs> we thought we were the product, but we were the customer. Uh, and so they were selling um, access to the people we brought to the site uh, to us. And so they wouldn't show the posts and they wouldn't, they would get, they would, they, here we, here we had another middleman, you know, essentially. And so that really, really bugged me. And in 2012, 2013, I started looking like what other ways still there's like, there's like no alternative. Like we're stuck here because here we have like 83,000 people who like clicked like on our Facebook page. And, you know, even if we only show it to 0.1% every time we post, it's better than nothing. (laughs) So like we still have to use it, but like I was, I'm always looking for an out and there were ways to sort of hack the algorithm. Like Facebook would favor videos. They wanted to rival YouTube. So we would, you know, start putting videos out or Facebook live came out and that was a new feature that the algorithm would favor. So anytime someone went live, it would like jump into a bunch of people's feeds. And so I would go live a bunch, you know, and through the years I'm constantly chasing how to, how to trick the algorithm, how to, how to maximize, utilize the algorithm to get to most people's eyeballs that care about what we say. And I just was so tired of that. Um, trying to game the system it's like why can't i just say hi to people or say hey we got a merch sale or hey we're going on tour or hey we have an album like i just want people to know that because but in the attention economy where you know attention is currency and everyone's fighting for it um you know we had to pay and i get it um so discord was a way to subvert that whole attention economy thing it's like hey if you care it's not 80,000 people. It's more like a thousand, (laughs) but at least it's a thousand people opting in that will get updates if they want them. So, um, it's not like on Facebook. It's like someone goes, I want the updates, but then they have to do this extra step of like clicking to see first. And, um, and then if you do that to five different things and your feeds clogged and I don't know, I just wanted a, a basic platform that I could bypass any middleman. And so discord was that, and Twitch, I loved because while, you know, Facebook Live was a thing where it's like, I have an announcement. Twitch is sort of like a hangout. It's like a longer vibe and it's real time. And there is a sense of like urgency with it and that you're really there with someone. It's interesting. Uh, it's not just like a broadcast platform. It's more of a interactive platform where it goes two ways. I can read the chat. I can talk back. Um, chat can fill me in and say hey what 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 about if you did this or did that with the song and so there's a dynamic there that i feel like is real um interactive and personal and interesting so that's i'm always looking for like a way to cut out barriers between uh the audience and and me and us and so twitch and discord seem to be like the right combination right now to do that yeah, I, it's awesome to be a part of too. From a, a fan's perspective, um, I'm not super active on Discord. Like I, I, I don't. I'm not always in the chat, but every time I jump on, uh, I know exactly what I'm getting myself into. So right. it's exciting in that way. Yeah. But um, that that's all I have for you today, man. And thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I uh, I look forward to seeing the progress on the new album and the various other projects that you've got going on. Uh, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that. You've inspired them in the sense that all things are possible if you work hard enough and if you're willing to put in the time, you can craft a masterpiece, and I think you've done that time and time again. Thank you.
man, that's that's awesome. Thank you for saying so, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, let me know when it's uh, when it's out. I'll I'll post it, and we'll let the let the Discord people know too. Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of Speak of the Devil. Matt has been one of my biggest inspirations for a long time, so it was an honor having him on and getting to hear some of his insights and stories about the world of music. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, and be sure to leave a review. It really helps out. I started this episode with a snippet of Take the Moment by the Classic Crime, so I figured I'd end it with the whole song. I hope you all have a great, productive week. I'm Josh DeVillier. Until next time. <laughs>